into curses. There are twice in the Torah that we have this oath, covenant with God and the Jewish people, sealed by all of these curses, warnings, what will happen if we sin and do not repent. And we read them very deliberately. The Chukosai is always read in conjunction to the holiday of Shavuos, that when we re-accept the Torah, we re-accept it with the echoing, resonating words of all of these warnings. And Kisavo, the second time, is always read before Rosh Hashanah for the same reason. That before we accept upon ourselves the new year and go through the soul-searching of the new year, we have resonating in our ears all of the warnings if we transgress God's will. So we'll, we'll read the verse of blessings, then I'll explain the structure of the curses. So this is containing the blessings. And you will eat that which is very old and remove the old to make way for the new. So Rashi explains, this might not sound very like a, like a blessing, but eat that which is old. That sounds like we're eating old, stale food. That's not a blessing. So Rashi says, no, it means the fruit are being preserved and they're good. So what's old, Rashi calls it three years old, which means the fruits from the year before last. There's this year's, then there's last year's, and then there's the year before that. So those fruits of, so to speak, three years ago are better than the fruits of last year. So it's good. And you remove the old snake away from the new, and again, meaning your threshing floor is full of the new crop, and the storehouses are full of the old crop. Like, in other words, you just have such bounty, you don't even know where to put it. So you're going to have to empty out the storehouses. You've got to find some other room for everything there because it's so perfectly good. So you've got to move it someplace because you have to put the new crop in the storehouses. So it's just your whole boundary. It's like, my well, gosh, so I don't know what to do with it. Next verse of the blessings. I will place my tabernacle among you and my soul will not purge itself of you. I'll place my tabernacle. So I says this is the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. My soul won't purge itself of you, meaning my spirit is not going to be disgusted by you because that word, tig'al, in the Hebrew means to expel something, that there's something that's, uh, you know, like nauseating you, that you have to, like, cleanse out of your system. And uh, here we're saying God does not have that feeling for the Jewish people. I will walk among you, I'll be a God to you, and you will be a people to me. I'll walk among you, Sarachi says, I'll stroll with you in the Garden of Eden like one of you. And you're not going to tremble because of me. Now, again, that doesn't mean we're not going to fear God. I will be a God to you. You still will fear me, but I'll still be so, so close to you. I am God, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt from being their slaves. I broke the pegs of your yoke, and I led you erect. Tarashi says, and I, on the words, I'm your God, I deserve that you should believe in me, that I can do all these things, because I took out the land of Egypt with all those great miracles. And I'm breaking the pegs of your yoke, meaning an animal, I, I don't know what they do nowadays, but in those days, as Rashi is viewing it, the yoke was like a wooden bar with a hole at each end that's resting on the back of the animal's neck. So a rope is going through these two holes under the animal's neck. So that's how the animal's yoke is staying on the animal. So here we have this wooden bar and we have this rope. But how does the rope stay in the wooden bar? 
So there's pegs that are jammed into each of the holes, two pegs, one on each side of the neck. And these pegs keep the rope from slipping out of the yoke. And that's how the yoke stays on the animal and the animal is yoked. So that, according to Rashi, is what the verse means to say, I broke the pegs of your yoke. I broke these pegs at the two ends of your yoke that are keeping the rein on that it shouldn't come off the head of the ox. So I broke those pegs, so now you're free of your yoke, the yoke meaning the Egyptian yoke. And I led you erect with, with erect bearing. Rashi doesn't say this, but just recently I saw in a commentator or a chaim on, in the end of Chumash, in Tzavim, because you're standing today, and Archaim says the idea of standing means the closer you are to God, the more upright is your posture. And the further you're from God, the more bent over you are. So I'm, I led you erect. You're standing upright because you're so, so close to me. So that was concluding the verses, these 13 verses of blessings. Now, but if you don't listen to me, what's going to happen? So the structure of these curses are First, we're going through, as Rosh is going to enumerate, the seven transgressions for which the Jewish people are suffering these horrible calamities. And there's seven transgressions. And since the Jews sinned with these seven transgressions, they need to repent. If they don't repent, there's seven consequences they're going to have. And if they don't repent, there's another seven. And if they don't repent, there's another seven. Therefore, there are 49 curses here, seven sets of seven, for these seven transgressions if they keep on not repenting. Obviously, the purpose of the punishment is to bring us to repent, to bring us back, to be us even closer to God than we ever were before. God's desire isn't to punish us. God's desire is for us to remove the evil inside ourselves that we've created in the world. But if we don't, he keeps reminding us. So, but if you will not listen to me and will not perform all of these commandments, Rashi says, if you will not listen to me, the first, this is referring to the first transgression, which is to be laboring in Torah, to know the exposition of the written Torah by the sages. So Rashi says, well, maybe you think that it means you're not doing the commandments. How do we know that this means Torah, not the commandments? Because the verse continues and you'll not perform the verse has two phrases. But if you won't listen to me, which Rashi is saying means Torah study, is not perform all these commandments. So obviously the second phrase, if you'll not perform all the commandments, means you're not doing the commandments. That's exactly that's what the verse is saying. So then what's the first half saying if you won't listen to me? It means you're not laboring in Torah. So why does the verse say to me? But if you will not listen to me, why don't you say if you don't listen? So that's implying that we're talking about someone who is deliberately rebelling against God. Like Rasha gives the example of the first apostate we know who's recorded, Nimrod, who, it says, knew God and deliberately was trying to rebel against him. It says it's about the people of stone. They knew God, they were aware of God, and they intended to rebel against him. So in other words, what Rasha is bringing out is we don't mean some simple, ignorant Jew that doesn't learn Torah because he doesn't know he's a Jew, he doesn't know what Torah is, he doesn't know how to learn it, he doesn't know what to learn it, he doesn't, that's not what we're talking about. So someone who knows what he's supposed to be doing, knows very well what he's supposed to be doing, and deliberately isn't doing it because he doesn't want to serve God. Second phrase, and will not perform, 
Rashi says. So the one leads to the other. This is Rashi's approach in all of these seven sins, that each transgression leads to the next one, just as in all the punishments. Each set of seven, one flows into the next. So once you don't study, you're not going to perform. Those are the two sins. In other words, if we learn Torah, that inspires us to know what to do and to do it. Conversely, if we don't study Torah, then we don't do the commandments. So those are the first two sins. You didn't study Torah, and therefore, of course, you didn't do the commandments. Next verse. And if you will continue my statutes revolting, and if your being rejects my ordinances, so as not to perform all of my commandments to annul my covenant. Now we're going through a bunch of other sins. If you'll consider my statutes revolting, meaning you hate other people that are keeping the laws, your being rejects my ordinances, you hate the Torah scholars. Not to perform them, you're preventing others from serving God. All my commandments, you're renouncing the commandments by saying, I, God, didn't command them. That's why it says all my commandments, not the commandments, but mine. You're denying their godly origin. To know my covenant, you do not believe in God. You're knowing the covenant. You're disbelieving in God. You're saying, no, no, not. These are the seven sins, and each one leads to the next. So to enumerate, he didn't study. Therefore, he doesn't do the commandments. Therefore, he hates others that do the commandments. Therefore, he hates the Torah scholars that are obviously pushing and promoting the commandments. Therefore, he gets to the point where he's going to prevent others from performing the commandments. Therefore, he renounces the commandments until ultimately he renounces God. So these are the seven, as we can see, very, very grievous sins that we're saying the people in the future possibly will go through. So most people would say, okay, this, this list is not relevant because Maybe one and two, you don't study, you know, to the commandments. But to get to this point is to hate people that do the commandments, too. But unfortunately, it's just if, if evil is allowed to flourish, it just gets more and more entrenched in someone's soul and someone's heart and someone's mind until they could come to such pits of evil to actually go through all seven of these sins. Not to study, therefore not to perform. Therefore, to hate people that are performing. Therefore, to hate the scholars. Therefore, to prevent others from performing, if you have that ability. Therefore, to renounce the commandments. I mean, you don't you want to feel good about yourself, so you just deny them until ultimately, God forbid, renouncing God. So now that we went through the seven transgressions, we're going to go through seven steps of seven punishments. And again, there's seven punishments for these seven transgressions that were not repented. If the people would repent at that point, we're done. God's goal isn't to punish. His goal is to bring us repentance. But if you don't repent, then we get another set of seven. And if you still don't repent, we get another set of seven and another set of seven. So eventually we know it gets so bad, you're going to feel so vulnerable and needy to God, you're going to repent. We, we remember God, and if we forget him, he definitely brings us ways to remember him. Even if we are so far from God that we've renounced God's reality, we're really desperate, we actually remember him and believe in him. But we shouldn't ever, God forbid, have to come to that point. Then I too will do this to you. I will assign over you panic and the wasting away and the fever, causing eyes to pine and souls to feel anguish. You will sow your seeds in vain and your enemies will eat it. So I will assign over you, meaning I'm going to command on you, wasting away. Wasting away is an illness that wears away the flesh like one who's swollen. And after your, the swelling goes down, there's your face is all like sullen from the sagging flesh. 
A fever is an illness that inflames the body, that heats it and makes it burn, causing eyes to pine and souls to feel anguish, meaning your eyes are looking and pining to see that you're going to be cured, but you're not going to be cured. And your family feels anguish at your death because they know you're not going to be cured. You'll sow your seeds in vain, meaning on a literal level, you're going to take the grains, you're going to put them in the ground, and nothing's going to grow. And if something does grow, your enemies are going to come and eat them. They're going to put you under siege, and they're going to be outside eating the produce that you planted. And I'll direct my face against you. You'll be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you will subjugate you. You will flee, but there'll be no one pursuing you. I'll direct a face means my attention. I'm going to turn away from all the other concerns to harm you. In other words, previously by the blessing, we spoke of how God turns away from those people from all the other concerns to bless us, to be with us. And now, of course, in the opposite. Those who hate you will subjugate you, meaning they're going to rule over you. And um, Rashi says that the Torah poem in a more, that's the collection of Midrashim on Vayikra, explains the verse, I too will do this, af ani esedos, af in Hebrew means anger, that, so to speak, whatever God's saying, he's saying from anger, and I will assign over you, in other words, what we're doing now is going back over these, this verse and the verse before it, 16 and 17, and explaining it on this midrashic level. I will assign over you, the plagues will visit you, one after the other, as soon as you have one there, another one's going to come visiting, you're never going to get a break. Panic, panic, that's a plague that panics the people because it's holding their death. The wasting away, so Rashi says there's a person who could be sick and bedridden, but his flesh is okay. So he says, no, it's wasted away. You could have someone whose his flesh is worn away, but at least he's not feverish and burning and uncomfortable. No, here you're feverish and burning and uncomfortable. So at times the person could have flesh wasted away and be feverish, but he still thinks he's going to survive. no. You know you're not going to survive. Sometimes you can be in the situation, but at least others think you're going to survive. No, others don't think you're going to survive either. So your flesh is wasted away, and you're burning up totally pained, and you have the pain of knowing you're not going to make it, and you have the pain that everyone around you knows you're not going to make it. You're going to sow your seed in vain. So we have a question, because on one hand the verse said you're sowing it in vain, which means nothing grew. And then the verse says your enemies eat it. How could they eat it if nothing grew? So the Midrash says you're going to sow it and it's not going to sprout. The next year, your enemies are going to come and put you in siege. And that's when it sprouts. So the enemies, you're in siege, starving inside the city because you don't have any food from last year because nothing grew. And the enemies in the meanwhile are constantly outside eating the food that you planted last year that is growing this year. Or another way of understanding sowing your seeds in vain, this means your children. Because you're going to toil with the children, you're going to raise them, but then the punishment for the sin is going to come and annihilate them. I'll direct my face, just like as I said about the good, that when Jews keep the commandments, God's turning to them and focusing on them. So too with the evil, God's going to focus on us. In other words, God's turning, and I mean, obviously God not like he's limited and he could be focusing on and is focusing on billions and billions and billions of things simultaneously. Billions is the wrong word. Infinite. Infinity. Every aspect of infinity God is focusing on. This means, so to speak, this 
extra attention to punish you. You'll be struck down before your enemies, so the epidemic's going to kill you when you're inside the walls of the besieged cities, while the enemies are surrounding you on the outside. The enemies are trying to kill you, and in the meanwhile, you yourselves are dying from the plague. 